Uh, in case you haven't noticed, we live in the most advanced information age in the history of mankind. Because now with the touch of a finger or a voice command, news and stats and stories and images and videos are available to us almost instantaneously. All the technology that came from the computer revolution has truly changed our lives forever. And some would say not for the good, but that's a whole nother message. Because anyone who has access now, we can search, we can investigate, we can study, we can even bury ourselves with, that, with data and imagery on whatever it is that our heart desires. I have watched all of this happen in my lifetime and it has literally been fascinating to see how far we have come since the computer revolution began. Now, I'm not aware if you know this or not, but many years ago, the pioneers of the computer technology, they, they coined a brand new word. In those days, many people did not know anything about computers, let alone how to operate them, and even those who, uh, who did made a lot of mistakes. Sometimes these uh, neophyte experts entered the wrong data only to discover a universal truth. If the raw data is bad, the computer can't do anything good with it. In other words, what you put into a computer determines what comes out of the computer. If the right data is entered, the right answers come out, but the reverse is also true. So in order to express this new truth, there was a four-letter word that they had coined and it describes both the cause and the consequences of putting the wrong data into the computer. It is the word GIGO, G-I-G-O. It's, it's an acronym for garbage in, garbage out. In other words, what you put in determines what you get out. If your input is garbage, guess what you're gonna get in return? You're gonna get garbage. But I'm here to tell you this morning that this doesn't just hold true for computers. It holds true for human beings as well. The human mind has often been compared to a computer. In fact, the human mind is far more complex and sophisticated than any computer that Apple or any of the other companies could ever design. But the basic principle of GIGO still holds true. Garbage in, garbage out. What you put into your mind is what's gonna determine the kind of thoughts that you and I produce throughout our day. Did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each and every day? That works out to be 3.5 million thoughts in the course of a year. If you live to be 75 years of age, you will have had over 26 million different thoughts. In fact, since you got out of bed this morning, most of you have already experienced over 2,000 separate thoughts, but you'll probably have about another 8,000 before your head hits the pillow tonight. And then guess what? You'll start all over again tomorrow. And here's an undeniable truth for all of us to digest. Every one of those 10,000 thoughts represent a choice that you and I make. It's a decision to think about this and not to think about that. Suppose someone gave you $10,000 this morning and they said to you, spend it any way you like as long as you spend it all before you go to bed tonight. You'd be careful in how you spend it, wouldn't you? You would first sit down and you would take an inventory of what you wanna do with that amount of money. 
We live in a health-conscious society, and many people will sit down, and they will carefully plan out what they eat every day, what they fuel their bodies with. We all know that the kind of fuel that you use will either increase or decrease the performance of someone or something. So people will spend a lot of time and money trying to determine what's the best way to fuel their body, particularly athletes. And the same Geigo theory applies here as well. If you pump your body full of junk food or garbage, you can expect a substandard performance from that garbage. So we spend a lot of time managing our money, and we spend a lot of time managing our food intake, among other things, and yet we take no precautions, it seems like, whatsoever on what we allow to enter into our mind which directly affects the kind of thoughts that we have throughout our day. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, beware of what you set your mind on because that you surely will become. Norman Vincent Peale wrote, change your thoughts and you change the world. I ran across this perceptive statement from Betty Sacelli. She said, two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time. So the choice is ours, whether or not our thoughts will be constructive or destructive. My point this morning is simple. God gave you 10,000 thoughts today, but it's up to you as to what you're going to do with them. So this morning, as we continue in our series titled Live Strong, which is our study in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul provides us with some help as he addresses our thought life. You can turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we will have it up on the screen behind me, and you can follow along. I'll be reading today from the NIV, the New International Version. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I'll give you just a couple more seconds to get there. Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, here's a simple truth that will totally transform your and my life and it's simple, think excellent thoughts. So let me start by sharing with you two truths concerning your mind. And the first one is this, you are what you think. Listen to what noted psychologist Arg Hart wrote. One's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Kind people are simply the kind of people who habitually tend to think kind thoughts. Angry people are simply the kind of people who habitually think angry and resentful thoughts. Over the past 30 years or so, the dominant movement in modern psychology has become to known as cognitive psychology. And it's built around the same truth that I'm trying to convey to you today. The way that you think is the single most important developmental trigger in determining who you are as a person, everything about you flows 
about what go, flows from what goes on in your cranium, in your brain. Many PhDs and psychologists and social scientists thinks that they have unwrapped some kind of new truth here, but truly they haven't discovered anything that the Apostle Paul didn't already know because Paul wrote a long time ago in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew your mind means you have to change your way of thinking. You have to change it away from the typical, our typical and carnal human nature way of thinking, and we have to move it towards the things of God. You know, Jesus was fond of saying, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He, of course, was running that with parallels to, to human beings. If what's going on within you is good, you cannot produce bad fruit. And when you talk about what goes on inside of your head, how you think and what you dwell upon, it definitely determines your output. It definitely determines your outlook. Because when your thoughts are healthy, when your thoughts are strong, sound thoughts, they will produce a good life. But when they are diseased thoughts, when they are destructive thoughts, they will not. Here's the second truth regarding your mind, and it's all about exposure. And this is the, the most powerful one, in my opinion, point of this entire day. Your thoughts are generated from what your mind is exposed to. Simply put, what enters into your mind will occupy your mind. And what occupies your mind will ultimately, will ultimately express itself in what you say, what you do, and who you become. And this truth about exposure is as inevitable as the law of gravity. And yet most people seem to act surprised by it. No one doubts the law of gravity. I mean, we all know that what goes up must come down. But amazingly enough, this truth regarding exposure of the mind seems like a total shock to some people that you talk to. People seem surprised at what they feed their mind and the things that they dwell upon eventually comes out in their attitudes. It eventually comes out in how they live their life. A great example of this is found in the children of our day. They are exposed to, to thousands of acts of violence and murder and worse on television and on movies and especially in their bloody Xbox games. And then we act surprised when a child takes a gun to school and starts shooting his classmates and some of his teachers. Does anybody connect the dots there? Why does the press act like that's not even something worth talking about? They want to blame it on a gun and not on the mindset of a human being. Another example, men, if you're going to be looking at sexually explicit material on the internet in the privacy of your life when your wife and your family aren't around, don't be surprised when you walk around all day long battling lustful thoughts and lustful desires. And it does come out in the way you treat females, in case you're wondering, in case you think you've got that blocked, you don't. It'll come out in your attitude towards women and they'll know it and they'll sense that spirit of perversity in you and they're not gonna have anything to do with you anyway. Or how about you women who subscribe to magazines that, where they have high-priced models on the cover who make themselves unnaturally thin, 
whose images have been further photoshopped into making them look like they're near perfect human beings. Well, when you do that, don't be surprised if your mind starts being full of thoughts like I'm not thin enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not desirable enough. And truthfully, folks, we are producing a generation of people like that in our country. It's all because we lack the wisdom and the self-restraint to create a society that produces a totally different kind of a mindset. It's the law regarding exposure of the mind, and it shouldn't surprise any one of us. And if it surprises you, my friend, you're just in denial. You just don't want to admit that this is the truth. So how is your thought life? fellow Christian, I have found the most common problem is people who are struggling with negative thinking. Doesn't surprise me at all, since just about everything out there anymore borders on the negative, am I right? I mean, just watch one dose of the evening news and you'll receive a huge dose of, of negativity. And I explained to you a couple weeks ago how I don't even watch it anymore because I get angry and I talk back at the TV and I want to throw bricks through the screen and stuff like that. So I don't even watch it anymore. I know where to get my news, by the way. I'm not, I'm not illiterate. I'm not stupid. I, I am up on current events. I just know where I can go to find news that isn't wrapped in somebody's political opinion. It, it's truth. And that's what, what we need. Anyway, don't let me get started on that. Look at the posts from your friends on social media. How many of them are posts where they're airing very personal problems and you're going, oh man, you really wanna put that out there? And there's negativity. If you listen to most of the conversations going on in the office place, and that doesn't happen here, I just wanna, I should say that, because I, 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 this we have an office here. If they do it, they do it behind my back. Most people never have anything good to say about anybody else. They don't. And as we get a constant diet of this negativity, it starts to affect our outlook. Negative thoughts poison our mind. And ultimately, they poison our soul. And if negativity is your mindset, you cannot produce positive things. In fact, let me offer you four common examples of negative thinking. The first one is self-pity. We all fall into this trap sooner or later. Let's face it, guys. Life can be hard. As the saying goes, in each life, some rain must fall. But it's easy for us to think that somehow we've been dealt an unfair hand. We believe that our neighbor is basking in the sunshine while we're living in a perpetual downpour. The self-pitying person says, you don't know what I'm going through. You try living in this 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. Here's another one, blaming. This is another extreme. Blaming is an attempt to find a scapegoat for your own problems. You, you can't face life on your own, so you find another person that seems to be the source of your problems. It might be your husband, it might be your wife, it could be your children, your parents, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, your boss, it could even be somebody sitting in church with you. Blaming is dangerous, folks, because the blame game leads you into perpetual victimhood. And when you start to view yourself always as a victim, you will never accept your personal responsibilities in any situation, and you will continue to blame others for your problems. Here's another one, the unwillingness to change. 
This is more, this more or less follows the first two categories. Once you immerse yourself in self-pity and once you discover that you are a victim, then the logical conclusion is that you can't or you won't change. And unfortunately, this type of negative thinking tends to reinforce itself. So you can't change, then your behavior can't be your own fault, so you never have to face your problems honestly. This kind of person says it's no use trying. I can never possibly change. I have every right to be hurt, and I'm not gonna give that right up. I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to stop. Or God made me this way. So it's not my fault, it's God's fault. Here's another one, anger and bitterness. Usually, it's the logical outcome. Why is that? Because once you begin to pity yourself, and then you become a victim, you get angry. You get defensive, you get, you get bitter. And when you start putting your problems on other people, you, you start to remember every little thing that's been done to you, every little injustice that's been done to or against you. And you stew over the slightest negative remark that is made by another human being that wasn't really negative at all, but you bent it and turned it that way because that's just the way your mind is going. And you bristle at any notion that you could be any different than what you are. You hold grudges, even though you say you don't. You glare at people that you're angry with, that your enemies as they come towards you. And listen, there are many other kinds of negative thoughts we can deal with. The fact is that the list can be literally endless but the point is simple. Your thoughts matter. Your thoughts are highly important to your daily living. Negative thinking leads to negative living. But you gotta understand, it's not the only option. In our text this morning, Paul reveals another possibility. He offers to us a prescription for positive thinking that if followed, does have the power to transform our life because our thinking will change. Let's read it again. This is his advice from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he goes on to say, we're Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This verse provides us with eight questions that, that we should always ask regarding our thought life. Before you think, and certainly before you speak, you should ask yourself these questions. Number one, is it true? Paul writes, whatever is true, Truth has to be the first test. One biblical commentator translated it like this, all that rings true. So before you open your mouth, are you speaking the truth? Do your words have the ring of truth about them? This question rules out all that is dishonest and untrue and unreliable. Number two, is it noble? The Apostle Paul writes, whatever is noble. The word means honorable and worthy of reverence. It refers to that which is majestic, that which is awe-inspiring. One commentator translated it as noble seriousness. 
This word is used in another place in the Bible to describe the proper qualities of an elder in the church. So is your thought life honorable? Do you ponder things that are noble and of serious purpose, or do you well dwell on the frivolous or the trivial? Number three, is it right? Paul writes, whatever is right. This means, is it in conformity to God's standards? Not, is it right in my eyes, or is it right in someone else's eyes, but is it right in the eyes of God? If your thoughts, this is a scary thought, if our thoughts were to be broadcast on a big screen behind us as we walked around during our day, would we be ashamed or embarrassed of some of the things that we think about? If others knew what you and I were thinking, what would they think of us? Number four, is it pure? Paul writes, whatever is pure. The word means undefiled. It means chaste or clean or holy. It touch, this touches on the whole area of moral purity. In other words, is your thought life clean? We used to say, get your mind out of the gutter, buddy. Because if you live in the gutter, you shouldn't all be surprised that your mind's covered with slime. It's just the way that it is. Promise Keepers, the international men's ministry, came up with a list of probing questions that they said that every man should ask one of their male friends. They, they suggest that men who truly want to live godly lives in this world need to have an accountability partner. And these accountability partners are designed to get together once a week and ask these questions uh, to help one another to stay pure in an unpure world and holding each other accountable. Here they are. Question number one, have you been with a woman in the past week in a way that could be perceived as compromising? In other words, it may have been a business meeting, but was the way that meeting was held and where it was held, could it be perceived by someone on the outside that that was not a business meeting? That's kind of to help you sum that up. The next question, have all your financial dealings been filled with integrity? Third question, have you viewed any sexually explicit material this week? The next question, have you spent adequate time in the Bible and in prayer? Have you spent quality time with and given priority to your family? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? And then they end it with this one. Have you just lied to me on any of these questions? <laughs> that last question is a killer. Because if you truly want accountability in your life, it must be based upon telling the truth. And if you find the right accountability partner, you can be truthful with that individual with everything, but it takes the right person and you'll find that right person and there isn't anything you can't tell that individual. Number five, is it lovely? The Apostle Paul writes, whatever is lovely. This word is used here in the, in the New Testament and it literally, literally means love towards. It's the idea of attracting loveliness, like a magnet is attracted to metal. Do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to that which is beautiful and that which is lovely? You know, a thought may be true and a thought may even be right, but it still may not be lovely. Here's a simple rule. If it's not lovely and if it doesn't make you lovely, then don't say it, don't think about it, don't do it, don't dwell upon it, don't repeat it. Number six, is it admirable? Paul writes, whatever is admirable. In other words, is it worthy of study? 
Is it worthy of contemplation or is it cheap and is it crude? This question asks us to focus on the things that are positive and not negative, constructive and not destructive, things that build up and not tear down. This means editing your words so that you simply delete the non-admirable things from your vocabulary. Some things may be true, but it does not mean that those are the things that we should dwell upon. In Ephesians 5.12, Paul also wrote, he speaks of this very issue, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He is referring to certain forms here of of sexual sin, certain gross forms of, of idolatry. He is speaking about areas of Satan's kingdom that should be off limits completely to the people of God. He's saying, don't dwell there. Don't focus on the evil that surrounds you. From time to time, I receive emails from various Christian watchdog groups and some of the information that they send to me seems to cross the line. Sometimes these organizations, excuse me, are so zealous to expose evil in our world that they send pictures along of things that Christians have no business seeing. I have seen pictures, folks, from these watchdog groups that I wish I had not seen. And you can't erase that stuff from your brain. It always stays there. They were true in the sense that they accurately recorded the depraved practices that go on in our world, but I felt unclean viewing them. You know, the church has been fairly fairly bold about exposing sin, but there are things that we simply should not talk about because it is so perverse and it is so evil. So this principle of, of concentrating on things that are admirable is indeed powerful for you and I. And it also puts to rest this foolish notion that we need to somehow expose our children to sin so that they'll know what sin is like. There are parents that believe that, and my response to that thought is our children see enough sin around them all day long without any additional help from us. In addition, when we expose our young people to sin, we run the risk that they they might, in their carnal nature, be attracted to that kind of sin. So we would do ourselves well to stay as far away from sin as absolutely possible. You don't have to take the lid off of your septic tank to know that what's down there stinks to high heaven. I have a way with words, don't I? What I'm trying to say, there are just some things that should not be put on public display, period. There are things we don't need to experience, whether literally whether visually, to know that they're sin. Well, if that's not enough, then Paul gives us two catch-all phrases. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Excellent refers to virtue, while praiseworthy means those things that God himself would approve. So here you have two final questions. Is it morally excellent? And lastly, is it something that God would approve? Does it have his seal of approval on it? Taken together, these eight questions point us toward the way of positive thinking, ladies and gentlemen. Paul says, think on these things. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's in the present tense. 
Keep on focusing your thoughts in these areas. Find what is true and think about it. Find what is noble and think about it. Find what is lovely and think about it. Find what is virtuous and think about it. Do it. And verse 9 tells us if we do, the God of peace will be with us. Simply put, those who think on these things experience God's peace in their daily life. And that leaves us with only one area to consider. All of us fight the tendency to let our minds dwell upon the negative. It's just a human reality. So how do you change your mind? Let me give you some practical suggestions for those who want to take Paul's advice seriously. Number one, analyze your input. It all begins right there. Remember Geigo? You put garbage in your mind, garbage is what you're gonna get out. This touches on so many different areas of our life because we receive input from so many different sources. What about the music you listen to? The lyrics, oh, it's got a good beat. Have you listened to the filthy words in that song that you're putting right into your spirit? What about the movies you watch? Oh, it's just a movie, it's vulgar. It's disgusting, it, it dishonors God. How about the talk radio you flip on in the morning? And there may not be anything bad about the talk radio itself, but what it does, like it, the news does to me, it rouses you up. It rouses you up for your side, because I'm a conservative and, and I'm gonna listen to this guy and what he says I'm gonna do. Well, what he's saying for you to do is out of the realm of what you should be doing. You can get angry, but you cannot sin in your anger, okay? That's what I'm talking about. What about the books you read? What about the shows you watch on television? What about the conversations that you have at work? The phone calls you make? What about the people that you go out on dates with? What about the places you go to on the weekends or the places you go to for vacation? What about your secret habits? What about your hobbies? What about your daydreams? What about the things you do? When you are away from home and away from family, what about the letters and the emails that you write and even the ones that you read? 2 Corinthians 10, 5, second part of that verse says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In order to do that, you gotta look at the sources of your input. You may be struggling spiritually, and you may not get it right now. You think to yourself, hey, I come to church every Sunday for, for an hour and a half, but then you leave here and you spend 60 hours cramming your mind with falsehood and evil and impurity and depravity. Or maybe that you're, you're simply filling your mind with spiritual junk food all day long. If so, don't think that an hour and a half here on Sunday is gonna somehow clean your mind up. I mean, this is, this is nice. Hopefully this gives you a boost. This gets you through at least half of your week. But you got to spend the other half, folks, in the word yourself and talking to God and getting at his word and finding out what it is that he wants from you because this wears off really, really fast. And then it's just you and it's God or it's you and the devil and who's ever going to get a hold of you and use you that week is going to use you. Number two, change your diet. This is the logical next step. First, find out what it is that you've been putting into your mind, then decide to change it. It won't be easy, because if you're hooked on trashy novels, 
If you're hooked on cheap TV, trivial conversations, and, and living off of gossip and salacious rumors all day long, change is going to be a challenge for you, but you got to do it. Let me suggest something to you. If you truly want to change your mind, find a friend who can hold you accountable like we talked about earlier. My, in my experience, lasting change happens much faster when you have somebody who you respect who is holding your feet to the fire and the commitments that you've made. They're holding you accountable for your thoughts and ultimately for your behavior. Number three, examine the influence of your friends. This is a big one. We are warned in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. You know what that means? It means if you run with the pigs, you're gonna smell like a pig. It means if you run with the wild dogs, you're gonna become a wild dog yourself. Let's face it, we become like those people that we hang around with. In fact, someone coined the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. If your friends love to party, then you are going to have to party with them or you're gonna to have to get new friends. They're not gonna settle for you sitting back with a tonic in, in, your, in your hand and, and not doing all the crazy things that may be going on at that house party that you're at. If they use coarse language, you're eventually gonna pick that up in your vocabulary. If they're angry at the world, guess what? Pretty soon you're gonna be angry too. If they are negative, if they are hostile, if they are critical, if they are filled with self-pity and convinced that their world has cheated on them, those traits are gonna rub off on you sooner or later. Too many Christians fall into the trap of thinking that they can lift their friendships up when all too often their friendships are dragging them down. I, I, I liken it to a bucket of crabs. I've used this illustration to many people before. You ever see a bucket of crabs and one of them tries crawling out, the other one grabs and pulls them back in the bucket? Doesn't want that guy to get free. He's stepping all over the other ones to get out, but they bring them right back in the bucket. That's what your friends do. They bring you back into the bucket that you don't want to stay in. Number four, begin to memorize scripture. As you begin to hide God's word in your heart, it will slowly but surely transform your mind, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans. There is power found in the words of life, in the scriptures, in your Bible. And not only should you memorize those words, but you should audibly speak those out. And you do this during times when you need to be comforted, during times when you need to be encouraged, during times when you need a diversion from the bad stuff that you're thinking of. I believe that there is a spiritual dynamic that occurs whenever your spirit hears your mouth verbally speak out the word of God, audibly. Your ears are hearing it, it's going into your spirit, it's a powerful thing. And I want you to remember something, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. And that takes me to Proverbs 23, seven. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. What you think today will become your tomorrow. Your mind is the best predictor of your future. If you think you can't, you probably won't. If you think angry thoughts, angry words are sure to follow. 
If you fill your mind with sexual fantasies, your body will find a way to fulfill those sexual fantasies. If, if you dwell on your problems, your problems will soon overwhelm you. If you feel like a victim, soon you will become a victim. If you give way to worry, don't be surprised when you start getting ulcers. If you think low thoughts, low living is sure to follow. If you expect defeat, then you will probably lose. If you dwell on rejection, you set yourself up for even more rejection. If you focus on how other people misunderstand you, you will soon become angry and you will become bitter. What goes in must come out. And sooner or later, your thoughts translate that, all of that into a reality. So let me say again, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. The flip side is also true. If you focus on the truth, you will speak truth. If you focus on noble things, nobility will mark your life. If you seek out lovely things, your life will perceive to be lovely to other people. If you dwell on that which is right, that which is wrong will have no attraction to you. If you think on pure things, you will become pure. If you look for virtue, you will find virtue. If you search for higher things, you will elevate your own life. Here's God's prescription for believers who are trapped in, in unhealthy living. Think on these things. Focus on the good. Focus on the pure, the true, the holy, the right. Focus on the lovely. Find all those things that elevate your mind and think upon them. Well, where do I look, Pastor David? Look all around you. Even in this fallen world, there is beauty everywhere. Truth is right by your side. Purity is there, is yours for the taking. Things that are admirable are all around you, if you will just but open your eyes. Liz, would you mind coming forward? Help me close this down, I appreciate it. One final word and I'm done. Well, you know me, final word's never short, but. <laughs> it's the truth. If you are a Christian, you have within you the power to obey Paul's command here. You can literally change your mind if you want to by remembering all that is best is embodied within Christ Jesus. He is the truth. He is the most noble son of God. He is the standard of our righteousness. He is the fountain of purity. He is altogether lovely. He is the admirable savior. He is the source of all virtue. He is the one whom God entirely approves. And if you choose to link yourself with him, you are joined with the highest moral power in all of the universe. He is the embodiment of everything that Paul has commanded us to think about. It's all found, all of those words are found in Jesus. All virtue, all beauty, all holiness, all truth, all things that are good, all things that are right are found in Christ Jesus. So we are to think on these things. Now this is not some abstract philosophy that I'm throwing out to you today, but it is a call to a personal relationship. If, if Christ 
is in your thoughts, then all these things must be true and must be in there as well. So my, my exhortation to you, my church family today, is hold on to Jesus. Think about him. Rest in him. Live in him. Because when Christ Jesus reigns your heart, you will love the good and you will hate the bad. You will love the truth and you will hate falsehood. You will love the lovely and you will hate that in this world which is ugly. You will love the pure and you will hate that which is dirty. That's what happens when Christ Jesus takes control of a life. He changes us from the inside out. If you trust him, he will give you his life. He will be your companion. He will lift you out of the gutter and he will set your feet on onto solid ground. He will transform even your desires. How does he do that? He does it through his transforming power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is available to us in every aspect of our life. There is no limit to God's power and how he can transform your mind and your thinking. As you hold on to Jesus, he pulls you up from the muck and the mire. I remember living in that. It was no fun. I'm so glad to be out. He pulls you up from bitterness, from futility. He pulls you up from resentment, from impurity, from dishonesty, from, from selfishness, from greed, from pessimism, from, from despair. Listen, if you want to change your mind, the way you think, you truly can. God has put that possibility within all of our grasp. You don't have to stay where you're at. Lay hold of Jesus by faith. Walk with him. Talk with him. Learn from him. Hold on to him and don't let go. Take Christ into your mind. Then you will find it easy to think on these things. And when you do, your life will never be the same. I'd like to ask all of you to stand to your feet if you would. I believe that there are a lot of people here today who struggle with your thought life. That's not a surprising statement because I think we all struggle with our thought life at different times. It may not be constant, with some it's constant. It may be periods of times when we all go through difficulties in our thought life. You find yourself thinking about things that bring you down. Things that are not helpful to your Christian walk. Some of the thoughts are negative. Some of the thoughts are angry. Some of the thoughts are lustful, sad, doubtful. Some of them are downright hurtful. Some of those thoughts lead you to believe that, that you don't measure up, that you're a failure in God's eyes and everybody else's eyes, that you'll never become what you really want to be. And some of you even have thoughts that God isn't powerful enough to change your patterns. Or does he have the ability to change your thought life? The reason you feel that way is because you've been thinking on these things for so long that they've just become a part of who you are. You've, you've come to accept it. 
And I'm here to tell you today that God never intended for you to accept that kind of a thought life. He wants you to be free of that. In times when you've tried to correct them, you've done so in your own strength and you've been unsuccessful because you haven't invited the Lord along for the ride. You haven't invited his Holy Spirit to direct you and to empower you to be able to withstand your thoughts. You've even come to question God's power. You wonder if God even wants to get involved in something as silly as this. Can I tell you, there's nothing silly about this. This is real life 101 that we're talking about. But I'm here to tell you that God does care. He wants to see you transformed from the inside out. If you find yourself in an endless cycle of negative thoughts that hold you back and prevent you from the true freedom that Jesus wants for you, I want you to know that God wants to free you from that this morning. The question really becomes, will you allow him? I want every head bowed here in this place and every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking around. I want you simply to focus on God at this moment. If this message that I presented to you today has resonated inside of you, you've come to realize that perhaps you want to change your thinking. You need to change what goes on in your mind. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray a prayer called, a, I'm calling it a prayer for a pure mind. If you want me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand briefly and put it down quickly so I know who I'm praying for? Thank you. Thank you. Hands up all over this place. Thank you. Before I pray, let me just say that all of this begins by entering into a redemptive relationship with Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you can receive salvation. And you do so by believing and by confessing, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way to God the Father, who died a horrendous death on the cross, the blood that he shed literally covers and cleanses away your sin. That's the belief part. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. The confession part, that's just simply saying that in your thoughts, in your words, in your mind as you pray to God. It's saying those things either audibly or mentally. God knows. He hears you. He knows what you're thinking. So during this time of prayer that I'm going to pray over everybody, if you have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, simply pray a prayer to yourself or to God, excuse me. If you do this with sincerity of heart, if you truly want God to save you, he will. The Bible says he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you will become a new creation. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you today. And as I pray these words, I want you to think about them throughout the day, apply them to your life and come up with your own prayer. Pray it every single day. God wants to know what's going on in your heart. And I believe when you pray these kinds of words to him, they're important. You don't have to repeat after me. Just take these words in as I pray them. Heavenly Father, my desire is to be pure, is to be pure in my thoughts, in my words, and in my actions. I am aware that the Bible says that as a man thinks, so he is. And so today, I pray protection over my mind so that I, I might think thoughts that are right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. May my thoughts be far removed from any doubt, fear, anger, lust, jealousy, or anything harmful. 
all those things that don't align with your heart or your purposes for my life as your child. May my actions, Lord, be driven by, by thoughts that, that, and, and motives that will glorify you and that will bring honor to your holy name. Today, Lord, I take Paul's command seriously. I will think on these things in Jesus' name. And Father, as we leave here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing us the steps that we take, the things that we do, the places that we go. I pray, Father, that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark and negative world. I pray that we would allow you to transform our thinking and when those thoughts pop into our head that are wrong, we would deflect those thoughts and start to think about you and your goodness and what you have done for us. Because God, I have learned once I divert my thinking from what I was thinking, I can, I can only think about one thing. And so therefore I am choosing to think about you and your goodness. So I pray you'll be with us, Father. Help us with our minds because we know that what goes on our minds comes out in the way that we live and we want to live a life that honors you and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So I pray for my church family this week. Pray that you would guide us, especially you would strengthen us in our spirit being to be the kind of man and woman that you desire us to be and that we would think good thoughts and it would reflect in the way we live our lives. Till we meet again, Father, I ask that you would keep us safe from any accidents, safe from any sickness or disease, anything that might prevent us from coming back together as a family and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And as we leave here today, Father, we leave in love. Help us to love others like you've loved us. I ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you.